Welcome to episode two of the Rural Radiology Journal Club. We basically do these very short reviews of some specific journal articles and we aim to do them sort of once every quarter or so. So this is the second one. Right, so stress fractures. We have to report a fair few of these because we have an army campus quite close by and they often ask us to grade the stress fractures on MRI. So that's what generated this particular presentation. So just in general, having a look at the papers that were out there, I thought there was quite good consensus for initial imaging and then grading, but very poor consensus for how grading related to return to play or duty. And there was really no consensus for imaging follow-up and quite good consensus for low BMD being a risk factor for stress fractures. I'll talk about the two articles in in just one second, but this is the Diagnostic Imaging Pathways, you know, that website that Richard Mendelssohn runs out of Perth. And they still recommend plain radiographs as first imaging, which I thought was interesting. This is something that we almost never do. Our army recruits almost always get referred to MRI straight away. So I thought it was interesting that they still have x-rays as their first recommendation for imaging. So for the MRI grading, there are 26 grading systems and 27 as of that article in January 2018 that I sent. The most common one that everyone talks about is the Fredrickson at AL1, which is one of the papers we'll be reviewing. At the very end, I'll talk very briefly about this paper, the Arendt et al. for lower limbs. Generally, they all seem to be some version of there's grade one, which is a bit of marrow edema or periosteal reaction, then grade two or three where there's more marrow edema, and grade four is where there's a frank fracture line. So the first paper that we distributed, I thought I'd go back and see how they came to the conclusions that they came to. So it's, you know, it's old, 1995, and the grading that they came up with was great. They had patients that they did bone scans and MRI on, and the grading system was that, you know, grade one is a bit of periosteal edema, two is a bit more, and then three is it's on T2 and T1, and then four is that you actually see a fracture line. So I'll go through this one. First of all, they only had 14 subjects, three men and 11 women. This is really a descriptive paper. It's a case series. I mean, it was prospective and it correlated patients to bone scan, but they followed the patients up clinically to pain-free time. They had 18 symptomatic tibias. There were four bilateral and one unilateral. The biggest issue I had with them was that the mean time between the examination and the MRI was 10 days, and the mean time between bone scan and MRI was 7 days, and in one case it was 10 days, in another case it was 13 days. So I guess out of 14 people, there's limited, you know, it's better than no information, which is what there was before this paper, but it's probably not the most amazing in terms of evidence that you could get. So out of their 14 patients, two people had a positive bone scan and negative MRI. And the two that had the positive bone scan, one kept getting pain despite rest and then eventually turned out to have compartment syndrome. So really their N is probably not 14, it's probably 13. The other cases in which there was a discrepancy, the MRI generally upstaged the bone scan. So just going back to this, you know, they had patients who were negative on bone scan but positive on MRI, and these people did get better with rest. So, they, you know, they went through in the text of the results what happened to all of the cases. And in the text, they talked about return to return to activity in grade ones usually came back in two to three weeks, two in four to six weeks, and three in nine weeks. And that one person who had the fracture line, they were six weeks in a cast and then six weeks later they were back to their activity. 
there were some interesting things about this paper. So they really made a distinction between medial tibial stress reaction and anterior tibial. So the anterior tibial stress fracture, which is what we see from time to time, they really said was limited to, you know, jumpers or athletes with kind of spring off activities which we really don't see. Like we see medial tibial stress reactions all the time and it's really uncommon to see an anterior tibial fracture. But, you know, some of the other, particularly like on things like radiopedia or rad source, you often see them drawn in as anterior tibial fractures, but it's interesting that they make that distinction. They also made the point that linear uptake of bone scan doesn't always equal a stress fracture. They also said only half the people ever develop radiographic evidence of a stress reaction. And they basically said bone pain causes bone stress. And the other point was that if you have pain on normal walking, the patient's highly likely to have grade three or four injury. So that was interesting. I think in terms of level of evidence, it's probably not that great. But, you know, that said, before this, there was really nothing. So given that there was nothing beforehand, it's better than nothing. So, so there's that. The second paper is on... Um, femoral stress fractures. I just wanted to make the point that it's these, the medial femoral stress reaction, which is different from another kind of fracture, which is the superior tensile fracture, which we see very, very uncommonly. So the most common thing we see is this stress reaction, you know, where the patients are getting groin pain. So this is a newer paper, yep, just from this year, March of 2018. They said that they had analysed 156 cases. It was retrospective and they basically came up with really two classifications, so fracture or no fracture, lots of edema or little edema, and then fractureless. So, yeah, you end up with this sort of two-tiered system, which is quite a good system in that if they do have a fracture of more than 50%, they end up going to surgery. But there are some issues with this paper I just wanted to make the point again, we're not talking about this fracture, which is a much more serious and worrying thing. This is the surgeon seemed to call this the black line of death. So, if, And that's because this is the side that's getting stretched, whereas this is the side that's getting compressed. Because your weight, your force is down this way, this is the side getting compressed, so it's less likely to completely fracture. Whereas this, if you see the fracture line here, then it's much more serious and um, worrying. So I thought it was interesting in this paper that the return to work time or return to duty time was even for grade ones, it was 60 days. And given that basic training for military recruits is only three months, that actually takes you out for a really long time. And the other interesting thing was for both of these grades, three and four, once you see a fracture line, really your recovery time, is a, it takes a really long time, so three months. And they talked about that further on in the paper. So these guys, they really had 90. They didn't have 156, which is what they said in the title. Because it was a retrospective, they had 90 patients who actually had MRIs, even though they diagnosed, you know, they had groin pain and they clinically diagnosed stress fractures in the others, but they had MRIs in only this many patients. They used T1, but they really didn't use it for scoring. They pretty much said they used any fat suppressed sequence, so including STIR and PDs. And this is one of the issues with all of these grading systems. They all use different sequences. And again, they didn't use any exit imaging either, just like the others. So their incidence was only 0.1%, which was surprising. I thought it would be more than that. But they did say, you know, not everybody who had groin pain had an MRI, so there might have been others who did. Um, 90% of the initial x-rays was negative. It was the same for the medial tibial stress reaction paper as well. Most of the x-rays were negative, and yet, you know, the recommendation is to do an x-ray first. I suppose it's the cheapest test, so fair enough. 
The other interesting point they made was that if you are grade three where you can see a fracture line but it's less than 50% of the width, the third didn't complete basic training, but if it was grade four, then half didn't complete basic training required medical discharge. Both three and four had similar return to duty time. Now, they say that no grade two or three progressed, but there was really no progress MRI. I make this point because we... In anecdotal, but we had a patient who had a grade two stress reaction and then was completely symptomatically better and came back and did have a fracture line. So then the doctors treating her didn't know what to do. And it's just an important point to note that we don't actually understand the natural history of these. So we don't know if all of the patients who have grade three edema actually progress to seeing a fracture line before they get better because generally they all symptomatically improve and we don't really know. We need to know where they are in their symptoms in order to have the grade be a meaningful thing because if they are getting better and we see a fracture line, we may have actually caught them in the natural history where they normally progress. So we, we don't really understand the radiological natural appearance of the natural progression of healing. I just had the calcar femorale out there because I was recently caught where someone had really tiny area of edema, but they had the calcar femorale developmental sclerotic hypointensity here. I thought this was a reasonable paper. You know, despite these problems, I thought it was quite a good review. And again, because there's so little out there, I thought it was moderately useful. I'm just going to talk about this one because this is the other paper that everyone always discusses. So this one is from 2003 and they had 74 patients and they just took all comers for lower limb fractures and they had a 10-year retrospective review of the medical records. But again, their real end was really 61 for MRI and the rest for bone scan and bits of this and that. So it was, again, like a descriptive case series. And again, they didn't have any imaging and exit. This paper just talks about all of them together and they really had the same thing, which is, you know, so the same grading system, which is that it is signal change on stir, a bit more signal change and then signal change on T2 and T1 and then you can actually see a fracture line. These are just examples of images that show. So this is your periosteal reaction that Fredrickson talks about and then a little bit more edema and then a little bit more edema and then you can actually see a fracture line and the medial, more extensive periosteal reaction, which is different from the anterior fracture that you see in other papers and sometimes also in textbooks. I have routinely started doing this. So we routinely include a T2 flat and a T1 sequence, and we give a grade and location, and we give cortical or trabecular bone after reading these papers. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've got. The BMD stuff I did for my own interest. There were no papers about it, just our commercial like manufacturer's information. I don't know what anyone else's experiences are like with this. Do you find, Jay, in Albury that you report a lot of stress fractures for the army? I haven't really come across any so far in my time here. Okay. Um, I have a better idea. Okay. Well, that's about it for me. Does anyone else have any questions or anything to... I'll ask you a question, Neha Gannon. Hey. Uh, what a fabulous technology. How do you think having an exit x-ray might help or exit imaging might help the studies? Because well, we wouldn't normally image a patient if they resolved their symptoms. True. Is it just that um, you might get a better understanding of the natural history? Is that what you're looking yeah, for? Yeah, yeah. And in situations where you do need to follow patients, 
it would be useful for our very specific context. If there was a study that had exit imaging, so imaging at symptom-free state and showed persistent bone edema, then sure. we would feel more confident saying, you know, when just you because you said bone edema. Yeah. 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 Sure. Also, when we grade them, we grade them with the assumption that they've just had their symptoms. So, you know, we don't know what the grade means. If but in reality, it could be a... Could be a repeat injury yeah. from something from six months yeah. ago. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's about it for the club. Does anyone else have any questions? Just a general statement, if I could. Yeah. I do like plain film x-rays for patients with sore bones because you can see a lot of other things. Occasionally you'll see something nasty. Yeah. But of course, you'll see that with the MRI, but I think it's nicer to have the x-ray first. What do you think? True. I, you know, they're complementary, aren't they? Yeah. Um, the issue with our particular population is that they're all really young. Every time they have aches and pains, it's difficult to justify x-raying them repeatedly. But I can see why that recommendation exists. I, that's what I would say to someone if they were looking for a stress fracture, wouldn't you? I mean, that's it's a cheap test. That's what you do. Absolutely. This is what Andrew Kong is saying as well. In an ideal world, he would x-ray first. Um, yeah, good. Good. Consensus. Oh, good. I'm so happy. So I can see some private messages. So if you can't actually talk, you can still type in your message and then I can read out. If you've got a question, I can read it out. Awesome. All right. Well, I think this is good. Short and sweet. Uh, Kongi saying he's seen. Uh, this is actually, this is a good point. I've seen osteodosteoma misread on MRI, but easy to see on X-ray. Yeah, that's very true. Um yeah, osteoosteoma is a big trap to fall into. All right, thanks everyone. We might end this at this point and hopefully see you at the next one. Bye.